Welcome to the Canon Law Society of America podcast, where Catholic canon lawyers share their stories, their knowledge, and their love for the law. Now, here's your host with this episode's guest canonist. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for this episode in our new CLSA podcast series. I am Donna Miller, your host for this episode. I'm the CLSA Executive Coordinator. We're very pleased this week to welcome the 2007 Roll of Law recipient, Father Kevin McKenna, who is a priest of the Diocese of Rochester, New York, and a member of the CLSA for several decades. Welcome, Father McKenna. Thank you very much. Good to be with you, Donna. Thank you. You're very welcome. Our listeners won't know, but you just read your Rule of Law Award response, and it is recorded in a separate podcast that I highly encourage our listeners to listen to. But I want to touch on some of the things that you talked about there. Tell us a little bit. You mentioned how you came to study canon law. (laughs) Well, Donna, I was shocked into it. Um, (laughs) One night I received a mysterious call from our bishop who asked to see me in the morning. Well, if you're a newly ordained priest, which I was, and you get a call from your bishop saying he wants to see you in the morning, all kinds of horrible thoughts go through your mind. So when I arrived, um, he uh, extended to me an invitation to uh, study canon law. And I use that word invitation as I've explained to many other people that uh, how bishops don't order you to do anything anymore. They just extend a nice invitation, but God help you if you don't accept that invitation. So I did accept that invitation. He had already decided he wanted me to go to Rome. Uh, he suggested that I go to the Gregorian University. I think one of the reasons was he himself had gone to the Gregorian University. Uh, and he had studied canon law uh, several years before uh, he was bishop. And I accepted that invitation, not knowing what I was getting into, but um, I was going to take him up on that uh, opportunity. So off I went for uh, two years of study um, over in Rome, which was a wonderful opportunity. I, I, I would just say I, I just enjoyed very much. I, I didn't necessarily enjoy sitting through long lectures in Latin, uh, you know, every day. But I did enjoy, I, I met some wonderful priests while I was there. And uh, I still remain, uh, have some friendships with those people that I met. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. And of course, being in Rome and being able to go to so many of the pontifical ceremonies that were celebrated there was certainly a, a great opportunity. And I'm, I was glad to have to learn about canon law. What was the intention for you to come back in the marriage tribunal? Was that the main thing at that time? Or as the 83 code was coming out, what was the intention? Well, actually, the bishop didn't tell me what his intention was. It was <laughs> this was all uh, very mysterious. He just said, um, I would like you to study canon law for a position that uh, you will later have here in the uh, pastoral center or chancery. So as it turned out, um, I was assigned to be vice chancellor. And then uh, I served in that capacity for a few years. And then I was uh, named uh, chancellor and director of legal services. And I served in that capacity uh, for several years. Okay. And that was pretty much within the diocese? You stayed within the diocese? uh, Yes. It was right Mm -hmm. within the diocese of Rochester. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And then immediately joined Canon Law Society of America, or did you? Uh, I did. As soon as I got back, back in 1984 from my studies, I became a member. I wanted to know what was going on. And uh, I think there had been someone, I think, had come from the Canon Law Society to Rome to meet with the students um, that were studying in Rome from the United States to tell us about the Canon Law Society. 
because I know later when I was the president of the Canada Society, I did the same thing. I mean, I went to Rome and I also met with some of the students to, to explain a little bit about what we did and to invite them to become members. So uh, I'm not, re I don't remember exactly who came that uh, when I was there, but uh, they, they sold it very well. I was very excited to join the society. I was glad that I did. When you started that ministry in the diocese then and joined the Canada Society of America, from what I know about you and your ministries, you became very much an advocate for faithful knowing that they have rights, whether it be lay people, clerics. So tell us a little bit about that interest with regard to the rights of the faithful. Yes, um, as I was studying canon law over in Rome, and of course you, you have to be exposed to every facet of, of the law, but what I really became, uh, I came to appreciate very much was the section on rights and obligations. And I just kept on ruminating and reflecting my mind. I said, these, these are good, that these are stated, and um, that the, the, the Chris, all the Christian faithful and the laity have a sense now that they have certain rights in the church. But I think what I was always puzzled by is, what is the best way that we can actually um, have those rights justified? How do we implement what we have said we have? So um, through writings and through reflecting on it, uh, we set up in the diocese, you know, some uh, review boards that would have responsibility for trying to do mediation whenever there was a dispute that rose uh, of anybody that was a member of the diocese against anybody that had some particular issue who had an issue perhaps with a, a representative of the church, a clergy person or a pastoral leader. So uh, it was our hope that in this way, we were not only saying you have a right, but we wanted to provide rights. And we had contracted with, a, with um, actually a, um, a firm that did mediation. So it would not be mediated by the diocese itself. It would be mediated by we, what we hoped would be um, neutral parties who were not a part of uh, the controversy and they could help try to, to, um, to solve the issue or at least bring some kind of conclusion or some kind of resolution to it. So, um, and then when the, um, the issue of um, this clergy sexual abuse uh, became more prominent, it was always up in the background whenever I was working at the diocese as chancellor, we were always facing that issue, but it became more pronounced, as you know, back 2001, 2002. Um, and that's when I, I guess I became more and more concerned about the rights of the priests in this whole process, because there was, there was developing a mentality that uh, almost said that um, if you were charged, you were guilty. And um, that was one of my concerns was that there'd be some kind of due process or there'd be the opportunity for any priest against whom an allegations are made to have some counsel so they can defend themselves. Um, which I think is just, you know, something very normal of any, every legal system. And certainly we're guaranteed that in the church too. And I was very happy to see when I became a member of the society, and as I read in my uh, acceptance of the role of law award, that this has been uh, part of our commitment as a canon law society to espouse the rights of everyone, and, and including the, uh, and the clergy. I know that through the, the years you have been a, I would use the word prolific writer, and, and I noticed two distinct areas. Let me mention first 
the ones that you've written a number of articles for America Magazine, the Jesuit mm -hmm. publication. And mm -hmm. I pulled two of those as I was researching you for this podcast. And I noticed that one of them was written, um, it's dated February 19, 2007, The Rights of God's People, which you must have been writing that around the time that you were notified that you would be the rule of law recipient that year. Is that? That could very well bell? be. <laughs> and in yeah, because that would have been 2007. Usually January is when they notify the person oh. that they're the recipient. And our, our many of our listeners will be aware that once you're notified, you have to keep that secret essentially for yes. eight to 10 months until usually the October convention. And in that, that one article uh, from February 19th, you had mentioned that the Catholic Church, by means of its particular theological perspective, has provided a shape and context for the whole concept of human rights. And you, when you talk uh, a little bit about that. Do you see that playing out in the world today? Well, um, you know, uh, the last several years uh, as a pastor, um, I've not always been able to give uh, the proper attention due to canon law that it certainly deserves um, right. because your day-to-day -day activities um, sometimes just take you away from that type of study that um, I was involved in when I was chancellor. Um, what has become very uh, important to me is the study of, of human rights and the church's teaching on social justice. And uh, my writing has turned more to reflection on those particular questions and those particular issues. Um, so I've been trying to read through uh, the compendium of the church's teaching on social justice. And of course, you don't have to go very much farther than, than Pope Francis, who who's constantly, uh, uh, there's a thematic there about the rights of the individual person and the dignity, especially of the poor. So that's been kind of the backdrop by which I've looked at ministry, especially a ministry here in the city where I'm located. The cathedral is located right in the middle of, a, of an urban area, and we've, we've tried to immerse ourselves in um, a variety of, uh, of outreach to try to help a neighborhood that is stricken by poverty, our whole city is stricken by poverty, and it's come to light after uh, all the incidents that have taken place this past weekend. Um, and all of the, uh, the cries about uh, justice or a lack of justice. I think our bishops have been very helpful. Um, uh, Bishop of the United States and the conference have been issuing statements, reminding us of our responsibilities. I have been, uh, where, I, where I've seen the call for justice being very well articulated, is in the uh, pastoral letter that was put out by the bishops back in 2018, you know, on racism. And uh, I've been quoting that, and um, I've been sending out a newsletter because we don't, we're not able to gather as most dioceses, most churches are not able to gather now. We've been communicating by newsletter. I've just been inviting uh, people to reflect on the bishops' reflections on social justice and the problems of racism. And I, I also invited our, our families and our parents and our grandparents during this very difficult and traumatic time when they're home. Uh, so many of them are doing homeschooling. There's perhaps a teachable moment here where we can share the church's social justice tradition and uh, the very basis of uh, what the bishops have told us about the dignity of each human person, each uh, human being, and we have to keep constantly going back to them and the rights of each individual person that are being ignored at the present time. So 
it's it's such a difficult time, and I'm grateful to the leadership of our country, the bishops, that is, um, for what they are saying, and I hope that they continue to be a strong voice in favor of um, social justice. So that's a perfect segue then into the other piece of, of your writing that I think is out there for anyone in the public, which is your concise guide series. And you have a concise guide to Catholic social teaching. And, and I was looking through the, the titles on homily and catechetical message, uh, the chart of historic milestones, the simple penance service, which I think would be for justice and peace, which would be very, very usable today. And then you have one called key papal biographies. And I noted that you have Leo the 13th, Pius XI, John the 23rd, Paul the 6th, John Paul II, and Benedict the 16th. And that would have been published in 2013. So prior to Pope Francis. So is there going to be a series on Pope Francis, <laughs> a piece in that series? Oh, I'm happy to tell you that they, uh, Ave Maria Press has just issued an updated version that includes Pope Francis and his encyclicals. So, oh, that's that's fantastic because this other article from the American Magazine was your 2015 article called "The First Canon Mercy: Pope Francis and the Canon Lawyers." And again, another terrific read. And I will provide these links uh, when we set up oh, the podcast you. page so that folks can can see that because those those kinds of concise guides I think are directly what is needed for non-canonists. If anything, I think canon lawyers have that obligation to try to explain the law to non-canonists mm-hmm. just as mm-hmm. much as to share it amongst ourselves. So sure. I, will, I will provide those links also. Then, so it's been nearly then 13 years since you gave your rule of law response. Has anything changed or is anything more applicable today than ever? As I mentioned in the talk that I gave, I enjoy reading history, and uh, I enjoy biographies, and I I particularly enjoyed reading about canonists back in the um, early part of the century or in the late part of the previous centuries who did work in promoting and defending the rights of priests. And uh, I've kind of changed somewhat my focus in that now I'm I'm doing <laughs> some research and writing on priests who have been active in social justice and who have gotten <laughs> into trouble because of their commitment to social justice. Um, I, I'm just hoping that, I, I, as I say, I've been able to keep up, uh, unfortunately, with all of the developments that have taken place in the canon law society because of um, some of the other areas that I've been involved in working in. But I'm trusting that our society is still very concerned about protecting rights, not only of the priests, but also the rights of the people of God. And uh, perhaps it's not such an intense need, because I think under the present pontificate of Pope Francis, I think there is more of a, uh, of a compassionate face that comes to us in terms of an authority like the Pope. And... Uh, um, I think that's been very helpful for the climate that's present within the church. And I think his invitation to a synodality in which we all as a community believers, we walk together, we support each other. And I think with that approach, um, uh, perhaps there won't be such um, uh, serious and deliberate controversies over the um, obtaining of rights in the church. At least I'm hoping that there's not, but we always have to have the law there when those rights are jeopardized. So I, I hope that uh, the focus of the Canon Law Society will, 
will remain, at least uh, some of that focus will remain on the importance of our rights and rights in the church and the rights of the Christian faithful. If students who are currently studying canon law, perhaps someone's considering it, what words of advice or encouragement do you have for young canonists today who may be considering studying or writing? Well, I think it's a great field. I mean, as I say, it expanded my horizons greatly uh, about the church. And I, especially I had the opportunity to be in Rome where I experienced the universal church in a way that I had never experienced it by living here in the United States. So, um, and I, I would say my advice, if I was to be so bold as to somebody who was going to study canon law, is always to go beyond the canons, to look at the themes of the law, and uh, that's where I first got interested in that theme of the rights of the Christian faithful, to see law as a ministry. And I think that's what helped me through the years of working at our pastoral office when I was working as chancellor, is that I was getting a lot of questions from people. I would get telephone calls, letters all the time of primarily pastoral ministers and pastors who were wondering about uh, issues that had, uh, they were facing and confronting and they wanted to know, what's the law? Well, I would, I would go to the code. I would say, this is what the law is. I would also say, you should also use your common sense and, uh, you know, uh, look at what your gut feelings are about dealing with an individual person who's going through this experience. And I don't know if the law or a can is always going to be the best response to somebody who has an issue or a question, but it can frame the response that we give. Um, I tried to see my job as ministry that law had a ministry, and it was to help people. And uh, it was just amazing to me that situations kept coming up over and over and over again that shows that we have a need for the law because uh, we need some reference points that will give us some help and some direction, especially when we get so immersed in a problem that we can't figure out what we should be doing because we can see the pros and the cons. And that's where the law comes in very, very handy. Practically, it can tell us what the wisdom is of the church over centuries of facing these issues and these particular questions. So I saw it, you know, as a ministry, but I wasn't going to be tied down to a canon. I mean, the canon gives us a response, but we have to also speak from our own human context and our own human experiences and our own, uh, our own efforts to try to work with the law that we can give a pastoral response that's gonna be helpful to people that are in distress. So do you have any final words for your fellow members of the Canon Law Society before we sign off? Well, as I would say, uh, I've enjoyed very much uh, my years at the Canon Law Society. I'm still an active member, although I have not been able to get to the conventions recently. But I forged some wonderful uh, friendships over the years with, uh, with Canon lawyers, the members of the society, and. Uh, you know, there's, there's always a turnover because more younger and younger people come over into the society and the older people start to rotate out of the society for a variety of reasons. Um, but I'm very grateful. Uh, this, the Canada Society was, has been just a wonderful gift to me. I've enjoyed the opportunity to serve the Canada Society, and I just think it uh, has so much potential. It's done so much good for the church, and I just hope that it continues to be utilized by the bishops and by the people of God, um, because it is such a great organization that has a wealth of talent and a wealth of potential and can be of great service to the church. Well, Father McKenna, it has 
truly been a pleasure to have this opportunity as you shared some of your stories and your expertise and your impressions. So I wanna thank you on behalf of the CLSA for all that you have done and that you continue to do to promote the rights of the faithful and to help us to see the light side of the good news. So mm -hmm. thanks for being with us for this podcast. Thank you, Don. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you.